Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, the AL West was in the news this past weekend. It's a big week for your division. And I'm talking about, of course, the fact that Mike Trout's dog's Instagram was unearthed and I sent it to you in an Instagram DM. That's the news that I'm referring to. <laughs> this is a uh, this is really good news. And of course, um, we we kick off the podcast talking about a very visual medium. So we're just going to have to sit here and describe a series of posts of a very cute incredible dog named juno his dog's yes, name instagram is instagram handle instagram handle juno trout i wonder what this is a reference to do you think it's a reference to like the roman god or do you think it's a reference to like the indie film <laughs> featuring ellen page <laughs> i it's it's i mean if that's the two choices that we're going for i'm not really sure that i would peg mike trout to be like a big indie flick guy but also, you don't know Mike Trout. That's the whole thing. You know nothing about him. That is true. I mean, he knows about the weather, so maybe he's well versed in Roman gods. Who knows? My only critique of at Juno Trout on Instagram, which I can only assume is run by Mike Trout in his free time, definitely not Mike Trout's wife or anyone else in his life. Yes, exactly. Is that there are only fourteen posts, and the Instagram has been, the Instagram account has been around since October thirtieth, twenty seventeen, where there's a beautiful photo of Juno with a jack-o'-lantern in the shape of a paw only 14 posts in a year in a year and a half come on man come on mike i know you're all out there training to be the greatest baseball player in all time of all time and everything but uh give the people the content you know i'm all about content these days <laughs> i think my favorite one is the one from mike trout's birthday where mike we're on a first name basis now mike is laying down um in bed and Juno is just sitting on him staring down at him and the <laughs> caption says dad it's time to wake up it's my birthday <laughs> my favorite one is the one from father's day where the first photo it's it's a it's a triptych as they say in the art world three photos <laughs> it's the first the first one is just mike trout with a backwards hat loosely on his head looking off into the distance but you can't see what he's looking at and Juno is also looking off at the same direction it's great stuff. If you're listening right now, you don't even have to stop listening to the podcast because, like we said at the beginning, this is a visual medium. So stop stop what you're doing if you're driving or whatnot. Pull over <laughs> and go, watch, go, go look at Juno Trout on Instagram. You won't regret it. Okay, so I'm over here. I'm on, uh, I'm on the third most recent post on Juno Trout's Instagram. I know you probably only wanted to spend a couple minutes on this, but now that we're here, we're going to end up doing like 20. Um does sick does Juno Trout is that an embroidered pillow that Juno Trout is lying on? JTM? Yes. Okay. All right. I just wanted to I wanted to make sure that we're on the same page. <laughs> Do you think the JTM is Juno Trout? Whatever her middle name is? Do you not? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what's Mike Trout's wife's name? Maybe that starts with a J also. 
That's we needed to do more research on this. <laughs> <laughs> True with most things we talk about on this podcast. Some deep dive um, podcast we are. I'm, I, for one, am just glad that Alex Baisley got back on Instagram just in time for me to discover Mike Trout's dog's Instagram page. <laughs> I'm Honestly, glad we live is, in a just world. <laughs> this is the only thing I'm going to stick around for, right? Once the posts stop, I'm going to stop coming back. So keep it going, Juno Trout. Keep it up. All right, we're going to get to the actual news in the AL West, a.k.a. Mike Fires, the no-hitter. But before we do that, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. All right, Alex, so I promised you and I promised myself and just the world at large of our li- full of our listeners that I would keep this podcast to a tight 45 We'll see if we can we'll see if I can hold myself to that. It's a bold move for me to say that at the beginning and hope that I stick to it. But in the interest of that, we decided that we were gonna do the first five to six topics of the podcast in rapid fire form. Are you ready? I'm so ready. Mike fires through a no-hitter that ended at like 3 a.m. Eastern time. Did you stay up to watch this no-hitter? I absolutely did not stay up to watch this no-hitter. I was lights out in bed before the game had even started uh, because apparently the Oakland Coliseum was also lights out and uh, had the start of the game delayed by about half an hour or an hour and a half, excuse me. Um, So Oakland Coliseum, I am going to miss you so, so much for doing these things to me. That's so funny. I'm sure they got dumped on for like, or they'll get dumped on for the next week on Twitter for this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, hell yeah. Mike Fires threw a no-hitter. Mike Fires. Mike Fires. He of the six ERA. Uh, he As of the 90, no-hitters. 90 mile per hour, just straight, just flat right down the middle fastball. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love it because like he's the total antithesis of what pitching has become in baseball these days, right? Like, I don't know. He's at the bottom of the list of players that I would peg to throw a no-hitter. Even just on the A's, there are many other players, probably some position players. I think Matt Chapman <laughs> could probably throw a no-hitter. But you know Loriana, what? You take what you can get. Just all Absolutely. Fastballs. Yeah. Loriana, did you see the, the home run that he robbed? Yeah, I did. Oh, my God. Unfortunately, that doesn't help my fantasy team, so I dropped him. Sad. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I think I have to, to unfriend you from that. We have to stop the pod. I had like six outfielders on my team. So, you know, how did this already turn into fantasy baseball talk? (laughs) I guess it's defensible that you were in bed before the game even started. So that's why you didn't watch it. But you not staying up to watch Mike Fires no hitter is spoken like a dude who's had people on his team throw perfect games in his life. I over (laughs) here had to watch a half-ass no-hitter on 146 pitches that ended Johan Santana's career just to watch my team have a no-hitter. Uh, yes, I know. Fires through 100, what, 31 pitches or something so, like yeah, that? I think 135 or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> it was like the most like, since like 2011. <laughs> I know. Why not? It was the 300th no-hitter uh, in Major League history. So Mike Fires in the history books. I love Mike Fires. I love that like you got you came into the season like this is our ace. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? It's like when I was like, yeah, Brock Holt's gonna break out in the postseason. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Speaking sure. of aces out west, let's move on. Rapid fire. Like I said, Chris Paddock of the San Diego Padres is not only a rookie of the year contender, 
but a Cy Young contender at this point in the season. A couple nights ago, it was last night from when we're recording, but a couple nights from when you're hearing this, he uh, he had a little mano a mano against my beloved Pete Alonso, who's actually going to win Rookie of the Year. Shot fired. Sure. Listen, I picked Tuki Toussaint to win Rookie of the Year, so who's the moron here? It's me. <laughs> Tuki Toussaint, currently in the minors. In the minors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, listen, you win some, you lose some, and in my case, you mostly lose. But uh, Chris Paddock essentially like called out Alonzo, like low-key. Like He was like, I'm looking forward to facing him. I want to come right after him. Like I want to win Rookie of the Year. This is like, like this is like the lowest of keys in yeah. terms of low key callouts. Like, yeah, he was like, I just want to come out and prove that I'm just as worthy of being considered for rookie of the year as he is because he's been getting a lot of buzz because he plays in New York, he hits big dingers, whatever. He was a big prospect, and Chris Paddock deserves a lot of love in the national media, and he's not really getting it as much as Alonzo is. I feel like. And uh, he came out and just gassed like a 99 mile an hour fastball by him. And it turned into this whole big thing on Twitter and this whole big referendum about how Paddock celebrated as he was walking off the mound. And then last night, Alonzo hit uh, a monster dinger, not off Paddock, but to tie the game. And uh, I don't know. What are your takeaways from the whole Paddock versus Alonzo rookie of the year big dude on big dude face off that turned into a whole Twitter argument. I think it it only turned into a whole Twitter argument. It's like one major league player said a respectfully competitive thing <laughs> and they went out and competed against each other and after the game Pete Alonso basically said that like the comments didn't sit well with him and he like wanted to make him pay for the comments but that like essentially like complimented him back and said like he went out there and pitched a great game. So these two guys are like, yeah, I want to do better than the other team, but the other team's really good. And both <laughs> fan bases are like, sit down, shut up, Paddock, you've been owned. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's very right, like y'all. gamer culture response to it. <laughs> it I felt like it was just like, kill you, bro. You suck at this game. Retire. Yeah. Yeah. I, it was, it was, I actually kind of enjoyed it a little bit. I thought Alonzo's quotes after the game was like he didn't really, it felt like he didn't really want to be saying any of the things that he was saying. I'll play some of the audio right here. He was like sort of like stumbling over the call out afterwards. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If he was, if he was to kind of, if if he was upset about it, I'm assuming uh, could have been a little jealous. I mean, he had a, I mean, he had a hell of a, hell of a first month. I mean, he had like what, like a one, like a sub two ERA. I mean that's 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 a great month. Um, I mean I'm happy to I'm I'm happy to win it. And um, I mean if 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 he was mad over, about that, I mean there's five other months. I mean, <laughs> so, so there's five months left in the season. And uh, so generally, I enjoyed it. And I really like Chris Paddock. I like all of the Padres pitching staff. Mostly just I like all of their team except Eric Hosmer. Yeah, extremely same. I don't know if you saw that. I mean, I don't know if you how much of that series you watched, but um, Chris Paddock did have a, with all due respect to to Michael Conforto, a, quite a beautiful sequence where uh, where Conforto was in a had two strikes on him in the count, and Conforto's out of the box and he's readjusting his batting gloves uh-huh. and whatever. And yeah, Paddock is just, is just yeah. Well, Paddock was just like I'm ready to go, and so he just stood on the rubber 
in the set position, waiting for like 15 seconds for Conforto to do his whole thing. Then Conforto steps in the box, get ready, gets ready to go, and Paddock just strikes him out on a high fastball. Like <laughs> Chris Paddock solved pace of play, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, he did. Somewhere Rob Manfred's like, give this guy a Cy Young now. <laughs> My favorite, uh, last point on this, and then we'll move on to the next thing. I liked how I liked how Jacob Degrom, who was the opposing pitcher against Chris Paddock that night, so that's why he was getting asked about it. Jacob Degrom just just had to insert his little version of a dig in there when they asked what he thought about Paddock's stuff that night, and he said his stuff was okay. He was just locating really well. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> we just can't give him anything. We're not giving Chris Paddock anything, and that's fine. <laughs> He's a rookie. He has turned his way into yes, the exactly. into the the larger baseball world. All right. Let's move on. You ready? Yes, I'm so ready. Uh, slightly less fun and competitive and on field. Uh, this past week, it came out that a list that came out of the players who are intending on joining our president in the White House to celebrate the Red Sox uh, World Series victory. And uh, the the stark contrast of the list was divided along lines of race. And as this was going around on Twitter, I think it was kind of sparked by the fact that Alex Cora came out and said that he wouldn't go. And that was kind of like the cherry on top where uh, even the manager wasn't going, yet a lot of the white players still decided that they wanted to go. So right now, the list of no is Mookie Betts, Jackie Bradley Jr., Xander Bogarts, Alex Cora, Rafael Devers, Sandy Leone, David Price, Christian Vasquez, Hector Velasquez. And uh, the list of yes is everyone else and um the only non-white player who is who has said that they're going is uh jd martinez who as we've talked about on the show is a is a huge maga dude so not great from an optics perspective but beyond that i think not great from a a reinforcement of the divide that kind of informs like a lot of the problems that major league baseball has that we talk about week to week in that in the sense that like when certain players are trying to make a stand for what they believe in, other players either turn their backs on, in, in this case, their teammates. In other cases, they just kind of say nothing as opposed to turning their back. But, I mean, this is one of the most flagrant examples I can think of, of like, listen, we don't give a shit about you. We only care about ourselves that I can remember. Yeah, so the divide is really stark, like you said. And a lot of these, the, the players who are declining to go are basically being asked why, right? Um, why aren't you going to the White House for this once-in-a-lifetime experience? Lots of fans are up in arms about this. Uh, noted online intellectual Aubrey Huff is up in arms about this. Um, and uh, <laughs> and players like... Uh, Log off. Like he- Log off. <laughs> Log off. <Honestly. laughs> um, players like Hector Velasquez who is a Mexican-born reliever for the Red Sox, basically said why he's not going. He said, uh, I made the choice not to go because, as we know, the president has said a lot of stuff about Mexico. And I have a lot of people in Mexico that are fans of me, that follow me, and I'm from there, so I'd rather not offend anyone over there. And it's just this really weird position where half the team, not half the team, a minority of the team, but a sizable number of players are basically asked to justify this decision. And no one is asking, 
essentially the same questions of the other side, right? Like, why are you deciding to go, right? Like, why aren't you deciding to stand in solidarity with your teammates who feel wronged or whatever, whatever the reason is that they may not be going? It's like, why aren't you asking Andrew Benintendi or J.D. Martinez or Brock Holt or whoever it is, uh, why they're not basically standing in solidarity with their teammates. I, it, it's like the onus is on you to like have to go to the White House. And if you break rank, then all of a sudden, you know, it's it's like mutiny or something like that, at least from the yeah. fans' perspectives. But I, I don't know, this expectation, as we talk about it all the time on this podcast, it's like these are human beings with like real life opinions that we they should show like we want them to show these things um it's 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 i don't know it's saddening i think your point is a really smart one in that almost in every other respect when when teams are divided we ask upon what lines are they divided and why and you would expect athletes to in a lot of cases stand together as a team or articulate why they're not standing together as a team and like you said, guys like Velasquez, guys like David Price, who is he retweeted something from Steve Buckley, who's a reporter, talking about why Cora wouldn't go. And it's like they very smartly articulated why they don't want to go. And you would think that the white players on the team would be in line and be in solidarity, as you said, with the rest of their team, because that's what they preach all the time. It's like when it's convenient for them, they're like, we're a team, we have each other's backs on the field and off the field. And now that it's not convenient for them because they want this quote-unquote once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go to the White House, like, they're silent on it. Because they don't really have a good excuse. Like, they don't really have a reason why they would go against their teammates of color. I don't really know if there's that much more to add on this. Before we move off it, I want to shout out Brittany De La Creta because she was the one who shared that list first that that uh that i saw do you have anything else to add on the white Sox or the the white house situation the white Sox situation i think that was the tweet right it was like saying that it's um i i think the last thing i want to say is it this makes me think of what happened with uh with the brewers last summer when josh Hader had those tweets come out and when he came out and made um, basically a statement about his white supremacy tweets and all that sort of thing. He had a bunch of players standing behind him, uh, many of whom were African-American or Latino. And I'm not going to make any assumptions about who chose to be to there, the circumstances under with under which um, that whole congregation came about. Um, but it's just interesting to see this the scenarios in which some players stand up for for other players, um, but those other players don't necessarily do the same back. Well said. All right, let's move on. Final thing in our speed round. It's an old friend, Alex. <laughs> yeah marlin ceo president of baseball operations derek cheater is frustrated with the lack of attendance and the lack of success of the miami marlins to that i say alex can you explain to derek cheater why fans are not showing up at the ballpark <laughs> <laughs> well but don't they allow like a like bands 
in right field now, like musical instruments or something like that. Like that's Wait, fun enough. Like all, you can hear music there. You can't. Yeah. You actually can't get that anywhere else. Yeah, you actually can't. I mean, the 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 flip side is that you can't see baseball there, but you can hear music. So if you wanted to pay forty bucks to basically listen to Spotify, <laughs> right on, man. <laughs> now shout out to those bands if they're listening. Uh, good for y'all. You're doing the Lord's work, but. The primary reason to go to a baseball game is to watch a baseball team. And when you don't field a team that the fans think is competitive enough, competitive enough to warrant their spending, like we say all the time, between $70 and $200 for a ballpark experience, guess what? They're not going to show up. And it's almost like we all fucking told you this, Derek Jeter. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God. It's, I don't even, like, I don't even know what to say about it at this point. And, like, we, we shit on Jarek Jeter whenever this stuff comes up. And I, I know that he is not the, the only person making all of these executive decisions for the team. It's way easier to talk about it if he is, just like with Rob Manfred. (laughs) He's the one hand stamping all the suspension. I mean, it's it is funny to kind of see him trot it out there and essentially take the heat for all this stuff. I mean, I I it it almost feels like he's a part of the team solely just so he can be the scapegoat for everything that's going on there, right? I mean, we're letting everyone else off the hook basically. Yes. Um and Jeter's the one who's going to go down in history as this uh awful uh, baseball executive when yeah. there are probably dozens of other people in there who are far away. There was a, uh, I don't know if you saw the piece in the athletic by Ken Rosenthal this past week, your favorite writer. Um, I refuse about, to read Ken Rosenthal, but okay. <laughs> um, but it was about this executive within the, basically Derek Jeter's right-hand man in the organization who's created this like super toxic, harmful, occasionally like, verbally abusive environment and i it's just stunning to watch all of this just kind of unfold before our very eyes but it's also kind of like when you have, when you come out and make comments and be like yeah we'd love to see more people here like we need to gain the trust of our fan base it's like yeah you don't say my guy what's christian yelich doing this year i can't remember i don't um, know <laughs> Uh, to put a bow on the Marlins conversation, I just want to say one last thing. It's nuts to me that Derek Jeter decided that the, the way that he was going to burn all of his public goodwill in the baseball world was by trying to fucking fix the Marlins. <laughs> 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 the Yankees golden boy, shortstop, World Series champion, first ballot Hall of Famer, all these different things that he built up in his career. He's a legend. You go to the Bronx, there's like two painted on half the fucking buildings there. And he decided that in the baseball world, he was going to spend the second half of his career giving bad public quotes about a team that he's tearing down. It's nuts to me, dude. He needs he needs a person. I, I use this phrase frequently. He needs a veto person. He needs someone in his life who just has like uh, an unencumbered veto where they can just be like, no, Derek, I'm vetoing the fact that you want to be the CEO of the Marlins. <laughs> yeah. Derek Jeter, if you're listening to this, we will take that job. Like you can, you can pay us each a hundred thousand bucks a year, and we will just tell you to make the the right or wrong decisions. Start at a mill, bro. Start at a mill. Yeah, uh, true. Negotiate Although, down. He might not have the money since allegedly he has four hundred fifty five million dollars in the Marlins, but that's not actually the case. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, 
our weekly segment, Three Up, Three Down. Switch your size on me, just know that I know where you live. And I ain't never had to bang, I'm good wherever I is. And I got brothers out of run it up and handle my business. And I've been hot since the team when they gave me the key to the city. Fuck around and have to cry me the queen. Yeah, I'm blessed and highly favored to be living my dreams. And now they're laying out the carpets when I step on the scene. Before we move on to Three Up, Three Down, I wanted to circle back to a conversation we had last week about um, Tim Anderson. We had one of our listeners... Melissa reached out to us via email just to uh, just to point out that our conversation had a lot of overlap with an article in Baseball Prospectus by the writer Shakia Taylor. And so I wanted to just give Melissa a shout out, first of all, for reaching out and then to shout out that article from Shakia Taylor. We'll put that in description to this week and then also we'll go back and update last week's description just so that we can properly share that article because I think Taylor's article was, in a lot of ways, way more poignant than our conversation was. Our, we got a little bit rambly there. And so if you're looking to kind of have a well-thought-out, well-reasoned article thought process about the whole Tim Anderson situation and MLB's handling of it from a writer of color, which is also really important, check out that article in the link in the description. All right. Are you ready to do this? Our beloved three up, three down. I think we're in the era of not explaining what this segment is anymore. How, yeah, what do you think about that? I don't think it's also like it's pretty explanatory. Like even if you don't know what it is, like we're just it's basically the rest of the podcast, but we put a name on the segment, and yeah. it's just things we like. That's what podcast producers do. They just yeah. name the segments of the conversations that are already happening. There you go. <laughs> All right, I'll start us off real quick. Three that I'm kicking off my list this week. Um, the Red Sox not actually being that good because the Red Sox are now only one game under 500. Uh, it looks like Chris Sale has gotten his velocity back a little bit. As we speak, they're in an extra inning battle with the Orioles, so that's not very good. But frankly, I just have not been thinking very much about the Red Sox this past week, and I kind of just feel like they're going to figure it out. Uh, so I've, I've seesawed on that one. Uh, number two, pitch tipping. It came and went, man. There was like that two-week stretch where everyone was like, ooh, he's he's had a bad start. Is he tipping his pitches? I don't know. And it turns out that they're not tipping their pitches. They're just having a bad start. And the third one is fandom expansion. I've been thinking just mostly about the Mets this past week. A lot of Chris Paddock talk, a lot of P- Pete Alonzo bad flips. That's been occupying my brain space this week. Alex, what are the three things that you're kicking off your power ranking this week? All right, first off my list is Jimmy Fallon playing MLB The Show because it's Jimmy I Fallon. I forgot about this. And- <laughs> I'm glad. It was a nice surprise for you, but he's, he's, he's coming on, man. I love that video so much. <laughs> it's a very good video, but I really, I don't have more than like 10 minutes per week to spend thinking about Jimmy Fallon. Uh, That's a even, lot. That's even, high. Even that is kind of stretching it. So, uh, Jimmy, you're out of here. Also, Jeremy Jeffress, not because I don't think the story about him having a food truck is interesting, but A, I'm not a Brewers fan, uh, and B, I don't live in Milwaukee, so really I have no reason to keep this in my mind. Uh, I'll bookmark it for a later date if I ever you know, make a road trip to, uh, to Milwaukee. So but what you're saying is a, you hate player personality and individuality. I do hate player personality, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um. And the last thing I'm kicking off the list, which I forgot was even still on the list, is the uh, is the Wikipedia page of the list of baseball players <laughs> with unidentified given names. That's how 
non-memorable all those players were that I just completely forgot it existed. So there you go. You guys are lost to the annals of history once again. But you had your, uh, there you go. You guys have had your 15 minutes of fame here on acclaimed podcast Tipping Pitches. Indeed, they did have their 15 minutes of fame. They're all like 80 years dead, but you know, it's fine. Exactly. All artists are recognized after death and baseball players are artists. That's my take. Okay. Trending up for me this week. Number one. I've been thinking a lot about the fact that the NL East might not actually have any good teams. <laughs> mm. Everyone is just kind of average and is going to win like between 80 and 85 games, except the Marlins, because of what we talked about last segment, they're going to win like 50 games. And I've been thinking about how and when we know whether like four teams in a division are good or just average. And I mean, baseball minds much smarter than me have ways of determining this. And, you know, the fan graphs playoff odds and uh, World Series odds and that kind of stuff are much more predictive than me just like watching these teams. But like, I got to be honest, like I've been watching these teams and I'm like, every one of these teams has a gigantic flaw. Like the Phillies, like their bullpen isn't very good. Their rotation is a little bit questionable. The Mets, obviously, their lineup is not as deep as you would want it to be for a team in New York who could have a $220 million payroll if the Wilpons weren't cheapskates. Sorry, that got a little personal. The Braves rotation is full of like young, hard-throwing righties who may or may not be in triple AAA next week. And then the Nationals, it's like on paper, they should be the best team, but they just like can't even win when Steve when when Max Scherzer is starting. So like I don't know what to think about any of these teams. And they all have glaring holes. And, and you know, the Nationals bullpen is a train wreck as well. Um, so I, I just, like, I always am curious about how you know, like, when teams are really contenders versus when they're not. Because, like, this has been happening in the NL Central for years now. And it happened in the AL West last year a little bit. So that's been that's been a point of curiosity for me in the last week. Yeah, it's fascinating given how good this division was supposed to be coming into the year. Like, who are the Phillies? The Phillies are in first place, but it feels like every time I log on, like, Phillies Twitter is having some sort of meltdown about how the Phillies aren't good anymore. I mean, half their team is on the DL right now, if I recall correctly. And the also, Braves like, they've had the, the easiest, Braves. just, they've, they've had the easiest schedule so far, too, by the way. Yeah. Continue, but, like, that that's why they're in first right now. They're all just the same team so far. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe it. Everyone was like, the Nationals are going to be better now that Bryce is gone. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Sure, but they're in fourth place. So, uh, yeah, whatever whatever works for you, whatever helps you sleep at night. Uh, I got to be honest, nothing about the NL East is helping me sleep at night. So, uh, with that being said, let's please move on from that fact. Um, what What is the your first thing that's entering in your, your power rankings? The first thing entering my power re- rankings this week, because it has been so long since I've been able to think about him, and that is the one and only Shohei Otani is back oh, on a yeah. baseball field, hitting baseballs a million miles an hour. I am insanely excited. Like on the one hand, I obviously hate that he got hurt, um, and I really wish he was hitting and pitching this year. Um, on the other hand, this moment right now is like kind of giving me like those um, like goosebumps, like butterflies in the stomach, flashbacks to last spring training when we were all like watching Shohei Otani for the first time. And it was like this really glorious 
moment, right? Where we like all gathered around the TV together and we were like, hey, kids, let's watch Shohei Otani just mow some batters down and hit 450 foot dingers. And I'm glad to have at least 50% of that back in my life for the time being. I know. I feel like a concerned Little League parent with him. Like, I'm very concerned about his arm as he swings. Like, uh, I think in his third at bat, uh, in his first game back, I was watching and he he has that kind of like lunge swing at outside pitches where he's like, he like shifts his weight from back forward and then he like almost like slaps a little bit. And as he was like exiting the box, he fouled it off home plate and it bounced back up and like hit him in the stomach. And he just like doubled over a little bit because the ball had hit him in the stomach. I couldn't really tell from the camera angle like what he was doubling over for. And I thought it was like because of the extension of his swing, because, you know, he's he pitches with his right arm and he's a lefty hitter. So you when you're following through on your swing, that's your right arm that the bat is in. And I'm just like, MLB bats are fucking heavy, dude. Like, are we I know that like doctors who are much smarter than I am and went to school three times as long as I did told him that he can come back and safely swing a baseball bat. But just like, are we sure? Are we totally positive? Because I still feel really nervous seeing that gigantic guard on his arm as he swings a heavy baseball bat. Yeah, it's like, do I want to see him go out there and hit four or five times a week? Or do I just want to wrap him in bubble wrap and dream about all the things that could be with him? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The forever dilemma of baseball parents who are fans. (laughs) Uh, uh, What's next on your list? All right, next on my list. Sorry to take it what was a fun conversation and turn it to a downer, but I got to be real. And the thing that I've been thinking about probably the most in the last week is just the Cubs handling of Addison Russell um, and how he's getting the call or he just recently got the call. Um, I don't actually know when his first game is going to be. Did he play today? Uh, yes, he did. Okay. Um, so, yeah, he's back. And... I don't really have like a smart take about this. And like, I don't think there's anything really left to say that hasn't, that we haven't said on this podcast even, um, but also has, that hasn't been smartly articulated on Twitter and elsewhere. It's just, uh, it's just a shame that the Cubs handled it this way and that it's just kind of like happening in game 40 and is just going to almost definitely go by the wayside by game 80 and then by game 160 it's just going to be like remember that time we were all in outrage about addison russell and like all of us are still really mad but like the collective fan base like isn't really thinking about this anymore yeah i remember that too um this i mean it's interesting that you brought this up because i was hoping to mention um a follow-up on the on our what we talked about last week with regards to Addison Russell and the, the Cubs basically trying to suppress negative coverage about him and, uh, and the Cubs vice president of communications, Julian green, it came out that he actually called fan graphs incredibly upset about, uh, about Cheryl rings comments about her basically reporting this uh, news item, right. About them trying to suppress that coverage. Um, and basically him trying to like get the tweet taken down or or whatever, do whatever. And it's like, my guy, you're proving her point right now. You're, you're calling this national media outlet to have one reporter, like stop reporting this negative piece of news about you. 
like, yeah, this is how you want to handle this whole thing. Like, it's just a fundamental misunderstanding of how information travels in the 21st century. Like, does he not think that that's going to be on Twitter in 25 seconds? Yeah. I don't know, man. All right. Um, I am going to lighten it back up a bit. It's been uh, it's been a week since we last talked about young Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And he's basically done jack squat at the plate so far. But that doesn't mean that we're not still enjoying him. We're going to enjoy him for the whole year. He's going to hit. That's for certain. And uh, I just wanted to share this this. L- little tidbit of a story with you all. I like doing the stories at this part of the segment because it feels like, I don't know. I don't know where else to like fit it in. I just want to like read you guys some stuff. You know, this is an audio book now. A long, Um, a lot. The next long history of us just reading articles that did more work than we do. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this comes from Adam Barry. He's a pirates beat reporter for MLB.com. And this is a quote from uh, Clint Hurdle, who we have sufficiently roasted on this podcast before, but he does have this funny story about the elder Vlad. So this comes from 2010 when Clint Hurdle was the Rangers hitting coach and Vladimir Guerrero played for them. And I'm not going to read you the whole quote because it's a little long, but basically he's talking about how Guerrero uh, hit every day at BP. Um, there was like no, there was really no early work for him. He didn't do video work. Um, he wouldn't really work with like Clint Hurdle on anything like that just because, um, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> because he just like wanted to figure this stuff out for himself. And I absolutely buy that. That's Vladimir Guerrero, right? He basically, he would tell Clint Hurdle to go watch the video and then just like <laughs> send him notes basically, <laughs> which I love. Incredible power play. You don't um, tell Van Gogh how to paint, you know? You don't tell Bonnet yeah. how to do impressionism. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but Hurdle says, I can remember one time on a weekend in August, it was a Friday night and he was in between. He wasn't bombing, but he wasn't bad in between. And I'm always wondering, am I ever going to get to work with this guy? Because I hadn't. And he says, tomorrow, cage, two o'clock. I'm thinking, cha-ching, got him. I get to work with Vladimir. I get there about 1.30. I've got a machine in case you watch that. (laughs) I know, right? How old are you? Uh... I've got a tee, I've got the cage, I've got balls. He walks in with Junior and he says, my son, here, (laughs) please, please work with my son. (laughs) So for 30 minutes, I work with Junior, who was 10 years old at the time. And then he walked out. He says it wasn't like working with a normal 10-year-old, though, uh, because he hit the ball way too hard for a 10-year-old. So what you're saying is that Clint Hurdle is the reason that Vlad Guerrero Jr. is the top prospect in baseball. I mean, maybe. I mostly just love that Vladimir Guerrero used his hitting coach as his son's just personal hitting coach. He was like, no, 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 I don't need help. But can you work with my kid, please? Just go yeah. off and, and help give him some tips. It's like, if you're going to be here anyway. Yeah, exactly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, incredible stuff. I didn't even see that story. Great pull. Uh, yeah, so many Vlad stories. They, they tend to pass you by, but I'm sure we'll get more down the road. All right, last one. All right, my last one is um, Justin Turner, who uh, up until like 24 hours ago had completely forgotten how to hit home runs. He had hit one home run in his first 145 plate appearances, and then he decided he was going to hit three home runs in his next five. 
Um, and I just think that's positively weird for a guy who has had a positively weird career. And I was starting to worry about him because he was like still hitting for average, still getting the doubles and whatnot, but the ball just wasn't getting out of the ballpark quick enough for him. And it just goes to show that like sample size is super weird. And like now he has four home runs in 34 games. And it's like not a lot. He still needs to like find his power stroke again, but like, you know, it's not like a totally low number. It's probably not where he wants to be, but um, it's better than one. And I, for one, I'm just glad he figured out how to do it because I fucking I love Justin Turner. He's one of my favorite players, not on the Mets. And um, he's one of those guys that I, I wish I could have on the Mets. Him and Arenado, I just like I just wish that I could have just plucked them out of their cities and put them in in place of David Wright at third base after Wright had to retire. Um, so that's what I, that's the last thing that's making it onto my list this week. Uh, I'd like to say that I also would like to just take players f- from other teams who are good and put them onto my team. Um, why I'm have gonna... a baseball podcast if we can't play baseball? God, <laughs> honestly true. <laughs> Actually, I think that's what fantasy baseball is. That's exactly what you get to do is just well, pick the players you want on your team. Ding, ding, ding. I have Justin Turner on my team. What's up? Ha, cha-ching. <laughs> that's called a callback folks (laughs) all right please what's your last one um my last one is probably the least surprising player i expected to be talking about in may and that is cincinnati reds utility player and suddenly cult hero Derek dietrich who has literally made the strangest headlines in the last week, but in absolutely the best way possible. Um, It all started, obviously, because this is baseball, with a uh, a B delay. That's right, a B, like buzz B delay um, during the the Reds-Giants game. And uh, the, the umpires are standing around the people aren't really sure what to do. And then, uh, and then all of a sudden my man, Derek Dietrich comes out of the dugout just with his B exterminator gear on. No idea where he got it from, but he's in a full like white jumpsuit, like has the, the legit, I don't even, I don't know what it is. I'm not incredibly well-versed in, um, B extermination technology, (laughs) but it's like a, there's a jug on his back and he's got a thing in his hand, you know, that's actually the technical term, the thing. Yeah. It's the B thing, the B killer thing. Well, uh, anyway, so maybe, uh, maybe that's a one-off thing. Okay. Derek Dietrich, kind of a weirdo, except, uh, in the same series, he uh, he drew an eye black mustache on himself, an eye black yeah, from like the bottom of his eyelids down to like almost his mouth, basically. So he is looking suave as all hell. And then uh, and then finally, uh, if you recall, I mentioned that the Oakland Athletics lights went out, causing an hour long delay. Well. My man Derek Dietrich was on the job yet again with his uh with his utility belt out on the field in like a, a Reds muscle tee mm-hmm. and this cobbled together belt with like tape and a what is there a screwdriver on here and he's he's got the bat in one hand and so honestly if you have a problem like who are you gonna call Derek Dietrich <laughs> can I just say if I looked like Derek Dietrich. I would be doing weird stuff wearing a muscle tee out on the field during delays also. 
My man is jacked. Oh my god. I got to if you're if you're if you have a free hand right now, just go look at videos of Derek Dietrich doing pull-ups. It's nuts. You should not look like that as a baseball player, except if you're Derek Dietrich because we love popular Reds utility man Derek Dietrich. <laughs> and he pimps the hell out of his homers. He does some pretty incredible uh bat drops and he also has 69 career homers as of Wednesday night. So, oh, shit. You know, we 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 stand a we stand a nice baseball player. Yeah. New logo, Derek Dietrich. <laughs> Mock that up for me, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Well, they all have it on your desk by Monday. La tele resta spenta non la guardo più. Ho un nodo in gola che è difficile mandare giù. Fumo un po', sposto via la tenda. Cielo grigio piombo io non lascio che mi prenda. All right, Alex. That'll just about do it for this week. Except one final thing. I just got a push notification from the MLB at Bad App. That was a story about Mike Fires' dad not finding out about the no-hitter until he got to watch the replay the next day because he, like you, did not catch the game the night that it actually happened. So what I'm trying to say here is that you, by proxy, are an old man like Mike Fires' dad. <laughs> that's uh, that's quite a roast. I thought you were just going to call me Mike Fires' dad, which I guess is weirder implications. <laughs> Um, no, I'm just trying to say that you're a lazy boomer who's in bed by 10. <laughs> Where's the lie, for being honest? <laughs> um, before we get out of here, where can people find us, my guy? Let me know. Let me know all the spots. Hit me with them. Oh, my God. Bobby, you don't even know. We have so many spots I where actually you can do find know. tipping pitches. <laughs> uh, if, if you're listening to this right now, you're probably listening to this on your favorite podcast app that might be itunes that might be apple podcasts that might be even spotify where only the elite of the elite reside um but you can also catch us on twitter at tipping underscore pitches drop us a line at tipping pitches pod at gmail.com go to our facebook that we haven't logged into in like six months and write something (laughs) on our wall is that still a thing can you write on people's walls on facebook i guess just you know, send it, leave wait, us a nice the, message. Wait, what were the things called where it was like, like this for a rate or whatever? Do that. Wait, what? Like this post for uh, uh, oh, yeah. how I feel about you or whatever. Some shit like that. Do that for us. Honestly, give us a Facebook poke, you know? Just yeah. like, remind us that we're still there. Invite us to an event, you know? Because that's what Facebook is good for. <laughs> yeah, true. And uh, and if you like this podcast, just please rate us on, on wherever you get your podcasts. We, 100%. Uh, uh, and and tell tell a friend. We're always looking for for new members of the Tipping Pitches family. So we're a, we're a big tent over here. All right, that's uh, that'll do it. I think we keep we kept this one kind of tight. I said at the beginning that it was for our listeners, but really it was for Rob Manfred in solidarity with his efforts to keep pace of play down. So with that, we will see you next week. So there you go. You guys are lost to the annals of history once again. But you had your uh fuck, what's the what's the what's the fifteen minutes? Fifteen minutes, that's the one. I was like ten seconds so fair. Whoa! That's the the vine era. (laughs) Two two weeks of fame. Wow. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) 
Clint Hurdle, who we have sufficiently roasted on this podcast before, but uh, he does come here with a with a funny story about the elder Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So this is a uh, you mean Vladimir Guerrero? Yeah, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the elder Vladimir Guerrero Jr. <laughs> Vladimir Guerrero uh, Jr. Jr. Just got called. <laughs> 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 